Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the city of Chicago, there are many touristy things to do. One can walk along the shore of Lake Michigan or go shopping on the famed Michigan Avenue. One can go up to Wrigley to watch the Cubs play or the United Center to watch the Bulls or the Blackhawks do their thing. Millennium Park has become more famous in the last 20 years or so for this big bean-looking statue that visitors seem inevitably drawn toward to take pictures with. I, for one, have snapped several selfies and pictures with friends in front of it. Whether it be riding to the top of the Sears Tower, technically renamed Willis Tower, to visiting one of the many fine museums, music venues, or restaurants throughout the city, there are many things to do in Chicago as a tourist. One of the things the city is well known for among American metropolitan areas is its architectural tours. The city boasts of a robust array of multi-level buildings, skyscrapers, and unique urban architecture that covers a cross-section of mostly the 20th and 21st centuries. The city was founded all the way back in 1837, but much of it was tragically leveled in the Great Fire of 1871. The fire consumed over 17,000 buildings, leaving over 100,000 residents displaced. Amazingly, Chicagoans got to work rebuilding almost immediately, leading to the construction of many of the great buildings along the tour routes beginning in the mid-1880s and following. The architectural tours are uniquely popular because they are boat cruises through the middle of the city on the Chicago River. Instead of having to crane one's neck to look up from a car or bus window for a limited side view, a tourist is immersed in the immensity of architectural grandeur that the Windy City provides overhead while floating along the re-engineered river that is dyed green once a year. It is pretty cool, really, and I recommend it if you get a chance. For me, as a budding minister who likes to contemplate the movements of people, the contributions of generations, the tragedies we endure, and the triumphs we celebrate, I was struck by a few details of the city's history written in its buildings when I had the opportunity to go on one of these architectural boat tours in college. The first is the architectural tragedy and subsequent triumph that the Great Chicago Fire afforded the city. Fire was said to have started in Mrs. O'Leary's barn, quickly engulfing neighboring houses and buildings constructed primarily of wood over two days until the fire had engulfed and destroyed roughly three and a half square miles of the city. Amazingly, the O'Leary family's house was unscathed and they continued to live there the rest of their lives. The weight of their neighbor's scorn must have been stifling. Out of the tragedy of the fire, though, a massive rebuilding effort was launched. Unsurprisingly, residents were wary of wood buildings, so they rebuilt with brick and mortar instead of wood beams and siding. The city was modernized in a significant way, almost overnight. The ability of people to bounce back after tragedies and setbacks 
is fascinating. A second detail that struck me on the tour was seeing all sorts of tall, lumbering, well-designed buildings downtown that were constructed in the decades of 1900, 1910, and especially the 1920s. The Roaring Twenties were reflected on the walls of the city in significant ways. It really seemed to be a booming time for cities like Chicago. And then, bam! As one floats around and hears about when each building was built, there's a stark, stark drop-off throughout the 1930s and 40s when there any construction was happening in the city. The wealth and greed that had fueled a flurry of construction in the previous decades descended into a period of great stagnation and depression until well into the post-war period. Just as the resiliency of the people of Chicago was displayed in the rebuilding after the fire of 71, so the avarice and greed of our nation was written into the gaping absence of constructive decades throughout the Great Depression and World War II. While great skyscrapers would again be built to dominate the skyline in the 60s and 70s, there is no hiding from the fact that tragedy and triumph marked the famed city's history. I share this memory of Chicago's architectural history to reflect on our first lesson from Isaiah. The same prophet who begins the book by prophesying that Zion, Jerusalem, would be punished, beat down, and destroyed for all her sins, said she would now be vindicated, rebuilt, reborn, and renewed. The prophet declares in our first lesson, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Jerusalem would be a city that shines with new light so that the nations would see her vindication. The kings would see her glory, the Lord would give her a new name, and the city would be as a royal crown, a royal diadem in the hand of God. By the way, I had to use Google to find out that diadem is a jeweled crown, in case anyone else was wondering. The city that was beat down, burned, and abandoned would now radiate with the light of God as a crown worthy of divine royalty. Not only would the city be like a crown in the world, it would be like a crown fit for the Creator. Just as the work of God is revealed in the land, the work of God shows through cities full of people too. Chicago's buildings tell the story of a people overcoming tragedy, only to replace the moment with uncontrolled greed and corruption a few decades later. Jerusalem looked at its neighbors and their empires with hubris and sinful disdain until they suffered defeat and exile by the Lord's guidance at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, 
They were being promised that their city would be restored by our same God who had directed their defeat. Their skyline and reconstructed buildings would be as a crown for the Almighty, a royal diadem for the Lord to wear which would show the nations God's divine glory. Those who had been beaten where they stood would have reason to get up again. Zion would be a city from which the glory of God would shine brightly once again. In many ways, the stories of our cities are the story of how God interacts with humanity. While we may be drawn to idolize architecture, urban economies, manufacturing and travel hubs, and the myriad of things which cities have, but our more spacious areas lack. We should also recognize that God rules our cities through both defeat and victory, decline and growth, bear and bull markets. God rules over our good and bad experiences, our highs and our lows, our ups and our downs, in much the same way. God ruled over Zion in its defeat as much as in its vindication. God is with those who suffer as much as with those who are miraculously healed. Our prophecies from Isaiah declare this in diverse and paradoxical ways, much as the history of God's people is a history of both resilience through hard times, restoration to the good. This week, we look to Jerusalem to see God's work in the world. And then we look beyond it. We trust that everything and everyone is ultimately vindicated not by a city, but by a person. God and Jesus Christ reconciles all things, all nations, all peoples to God in a unique and timeless way. While the people of the world continue to strive through periods of growth and decline, in ways that are the same as those who lived thousands of years ago. We have hope. We have hope that God will renew and vindicate us like the restored city of Zion through the one who came to save us. The darkness of our world reigns for a day, but the light of Christ will win out forever and shine across our land and our people alike. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you'd like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.